Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. What makes us Jewish is we have a Jewish soul. And that Jewish soul is holy. And how is that soul holy? Because the, that soul knows Hashem, sees Hashem, and knows Hashem not as we humans are able to grasp in our limited level, but we really are able to see Hashem the way Hashem is to Himself and His infinite, pure self. And because every Jew has this instinct, every Jewish soul knows Hashem, knows God with every fiber of his being and every bone in his body, and sees it, and senses it. Therefore, every Jew, from the simplest to the greatest, is ready to sacrifice his life in the moment of truth, is ready to make the ultimate sacrifice for God, for Hashem. When push comes to shove, are you a Jew? Or are you going to deny your Jewishness? Any Jew and every Jew. 99% of the time, in that moment of truth, would rather give up their life and remain connected to Hashem. Not because we devalue life. On the contrary. There's no one in the world that values life more than the Jewish people. That's actually our vulnerable spot. Our enemies know it. One Jew dies, the whole country mourns. The Torah doesn't emphasize the afterlife, life in the world to come. The Torah speaks about life in this world. The Torah doesn't even mention the afterlife. Life is sacred. Life is holy. A Jew has to, has to give up all 613 mitzvot, with the three exceptions three cardinal mitzvot, idolatry, adultery, and murder. Other than that, the Jew has to give up the entire 613 mitzvot in order to sustain life in this world. Because life is holy to us. We are a nation that loves life, celebrates life. So it's not that we are ready to die, ready to make the ultimate sacrifice, because life has no value to us. On the contrary. But for a Jew... It's not a question of dying for God. To disconnect yourself from God, to be disconnected, that is death. That is not an option. It's like unplugging yourself. It's like, taking, it's like walking off the earth, taking a recess from life for a moment. It's simply not an option. That is life. Our connection to Hashem, that is life. That is reality. There is no other reality. That is the ultimate reality. There is no other reality. So it's not an option to disconnect yourself, to unplug yourself, even for a moment, unplug yourself from God and from your Jewishness. That's taking a break from life. Life is being connected and rooted in Hashem, in the source of life. You said, except for the three, 613 minutes, except for idolatry, adultery, and murder. I didn't understand. Yes, in those cases, even... Even, even under the threat of death, you have to make the ultimate sacrifice. Oh, my God. Right. If someone holds a gun to you and says, bow down to an idol, 
you'd rather die. That's what, we took, that's what we're discussing here, self-sacrifice. That a Jew is ready to sacrifice his life for Hashem. A Jew is ready to die for his Jewishness. That's how deep, that's how deeply rooted our Jewishness. It touches our very core and essence. And therefore it's not negotiable. And this is true across the board. All Jews, every Jew. Not only great rabbis, mystics, and scholars. Every Jew, simple Jews. And even the great rabbis, and mystics, and scholars, they don't have to meditate or think about it. It doesn't take long reflection to come to this decision. It's an instinct. It's a natural decision. It's an automatic decision. For a Jew, it's simply not an option because our Jewishness runs so deep. It touches our very being. We'd rather sacrifice our being, sacrifice our ego. What is the most powerful drive in this world? Self-preservation. Everything from the amoeba up tries to preserve itself, continue its existence. Ego, being. A Jew is ready to sacrifice his being, make the ultimate sacrifice. Sacrifice his being, sacrifice his ego, sacrifice his existence. Just for the sake of his Jewishness. Not to deny his connection with God. Not to bow down to idols. If this martyrdom, Jewish martyrdom, which really expresses the essence, the holiness of a Jew, the essence of a Jew. And it's this ability, this potential that each and every Jew contains within them, his readiness to sacrifice his life, to totally rise above his ego, transcend his ego, sacrifice his ego, for the sake of his connection with Hashem, that really expresses the essence of a Jew. What we call the pintaliyit, that holy spark, that part that makes us Jewish. And this is something that's unique to the Jewish people. Because it's a human being by nature, by definition, his, his essence is about ego, self. That self-preservation could take up many forms. There are many people, freedom fighters, who are ready to give up their lives for their beliefs. Not uniquely Jewish. Many people are ready to die for their beliefs. Many people were burnt at the stake for their beliefs. What's unique about Jewish martyrdom? I'll never forget reading about the... Um, there was... In Vietnam, there was an American POW who was very brave, very heroic. He was captured, and he refused to crack, refused to buckle. They tortured him, and he was very strong. Finally, they got to him. How did they get to him? They told him, you know, you know what's going to happen tomorrow? You're going to be walking down a street in Vietnam a truck is going to come barreling out of nowhere and it's just going to mow you down. And we're going to report it that you died in a stupid accident in the jungles of Southeast Asia. And that broke. That totally broke. He was ready to die a hero. He was ready to die for his beliefs, for his cause. But to die a stupid 
meaningless death in a God-forsaken place. For what? He survived torture, but he's going to end up being just a note. He just died in a, in a stupid accident. Of course, no one's going to know that it wasn't an accident. That, that he couldn't handle. And they broke him. So when a person is ready to die for his beliefs, Socrates, Socrates died for his beliefs, right? He refused to announce, he refused to announce his belief. And he died for the sake of his enlightenment, for his philosophy, for his understanding. But when a person is ready to die for his beliefs, it's not necessarily about self-sacrifice. A person could become so identified with his beliefs that if he loses his beliefs, he's nothing. So his ego becomes so enmeshed in his beliefs that he, he can't separate in him and his beliefs. So if you t- force him to deny his beliefs, he might as well not exist. So it's not a question of sacrifice. It's really a question of self-preservation. By him affirming his beliefs, he's actually, yes, he's making the ultimate sacrifice, but it's not really sacrifice. It's really preserving his being, preserving his identity, because his identity has become one with his beliefs. Or if a person makes a calculation, I'm going to die, but I'll be a hero. I'll be remembered. I'll be remembered forever. After all, life in this world is transient. Most people come and go. They don't leave a mark in this world. I'll be remembered. They'll be talking about me hundreds of years from now. I've inspired. I'll inspire my colleagues, my heroism, my courage, my strength. So my life has meaning. My life has purpose. Or a person can make a calculation. I will die in order that I should gain a share in the world to come. So again, it's not about self-sacrifice. It's, it's about self-preservation. A more expansive sense of self than just living and surviving in the physical form. But it's all about self. That's not self-sacrifice. Jewish martyrdom is unique. Jewish martyrdom is about self-sacrifice. It's not about calculation. It's not about I'm going to sacrifice but I'm going to gain so much more. It's not about I. It's the ability to totally transcend the ego, to totally transcend the I. And who gave us, where did we inherit this from? As he said earlier on in the chapter, we inherited this from Avram, the very first Jew. And when did Avram truly become the very first Jew? The ultimate test, which is the test of the Akedah. The Akedah. Avram, it was such an astonishing feat of self-sacrifice that until today, every morning we wake up in the morning and the first thing we say is we read the story of the Akedah. We can't get over it. 3,800 years later, we still can't get over it. It's so shocking. It's so amazing. It's so unusual, unique. In the annals of human history, there's nothing like the Akedah. Why? There are many people ready to sacrifice their lives for their beliefs. Think about the story of the Akedah for a few moments. On one level, the Akedah was because why was it Avram's test? Why wasn't it Isaac's test? Isaac, after all, was the one who was being sacrificed. Avram had to live with it. 
and it's hard, more difficult for a person to sacrifice his child than it is for a person to give up his own life. Also, Avram was the epitome of kindness. It went against his nature. Isaac was all about heroism. So for Isaac, this wasn't such a test. It was more a test for Abraham. But if you think about the story, and with this we'll understand something very puzzling in the story. The story of the Akedah begins. Hashem turns to Avram and he says, Kach no, please. He uses the expression please. Or Rashi says, why does he say please? Because Hashem pleaded with Avram. Please. Withstand this test. This is your tenth and final test. Please. Because if you fail this test, everyone is going to say that all the nine tests that you, that you passed till now were meaningless, were nothing. But if you'll withstand this test, then everyone will know that the previous nine tests were for real. Think about it. Avram was 137 years old. He recognized God from the age of three, from, the, from, the, from when he was a child. He challenged his parents. He challenged the king, Nimrod. He smashed the idols. He was thrown into the fire. He's ready to sacrifice his life. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. He was 137 years old. He's been collecting social securities for 60 years. How could you say that everything that he accomplished till now was nothing? Most you can say that his, his dedication is limited. His dedication, he's ready to sacrifice his life. He's ready to sacrifice everything. But not his son. Imagine a parent, parents who can't have children, and then they're blessed with a child. Could you imagine the joy at the age of 99, the age of, at the age of 100, at the age of 90? You can imagine what kind of joy Isaac gave them to give up this child. Even for Avram, it's impossible. So you can say, listen, like God was asking too much. Simply not possible. Just like God didn't test Sarah with this test. It wasn't a test for Sarah. It's not a test for a Yiddish mama. This is not a test. You can't test someone something he can't handle. Sarah couldn't handle this. This wasn't a test for her. God doesn't test the person something they can't handle. You can't ask a Jewish mother to sacrifice a child. Simply, it's impossible. Especially if having a child, the first child, 90 years old. So you can say that for Avram it was a little too much. Hashem was pushing the limits, pushing the envelope a little too, too, too hard. It was just a little too much. You couldn't take it. How can you say that everything you've accomplished till now in the last 134 years is meaningless? And the answer is, because it was, this was the only test that was pure self-sacrifice. Because think about it. Avraham was identified with his beliefs. He recognized God. He came to the realization there's a God in this world. From when he was three years old, he came out of the cave, he looked at the sun, he worshipped the sun. The sun set, he worshipped the moon. Then he realized that neither the sun is God nor the moon is God, and he realized that there's a God that creates the sun and the moon. And he came all of this on his own. He came to the realization, he learned it from his parents, from his environment, he came to it on his own. And he was, he had, he was coherent, he was able to communicate his beliefs, he was able to create a following, he was a leader, he wrote books. He went on talk shows, he communicated, he challenged the politically correct uh, assumptions of that day. They were all idolaters and, and pagans, and he, he challenged them. And he had a whole following, a mass movement of people who believed in God, who lived a godly life. And he sustained and built up this movement and went from strength to strength. So Avram was so identified with his beliefs that the fact that he was ready to sacrifice his life ready to be thrown into the furnace for his beliefs, that doesn't prove, yeah, that's not Jewish self-sacrifice. That's not Jewish martyr. That many people are ready to die for their beliefs. Communism or this-ism, that, that doesn't prove 
that Avram was truly, it was about self-sacrifice. It wasn't about self-sacrifice. It was about self-expression. It was only by the Akedah. What was that God asking Avram to do? It was on the face of it, it was the most meaningless act. It would mean nothing. It would signify nothing. It would accomplish, not only wouldn't it accomplish anything, it would actually be totally counterproductive. He would actually be setting, setting himself back 134 years. He would actually be taking with his own hands, taking and destroying everything he built up for the last 134 years and guaranteeing that there's no future. That Judaism begins and ends with him. What did Hashem ask him to do? To take his ear. His ear. Finally. After 100 years, he finally got a child. An ear. Who's going to carry on the family business. Who's, in, who's going, to, going to continue this belief system. And Hashem asked him, take with your own hands and return the gift to me. Now, if Hashem would have asked him, listen, I want you to call a press conference. Invite CBS, invite all the channels, Fox, CNN, come and make, show your heroism, your dedication to God, that you're ready to offer your only child just because God told you. Okay, maybe. What does God tell? <laughs> Go on a distant journey. Take you, only, only you and Isaac, alone. Three-day journey. Go on the mountaintop. He left his servants at the bottom of the foot of the mountain. Go on the mountaintop. Just you and Isaac. Do you think anyone in the world would believe Avram if Avram came down the mountain alone? Avram. He couldn't even hurt a fly. Yeah, he killed his son. Sure. No one would even believe him. They'd probably say he got into a scuffle, he got into a fight, the son ran off. That's the end of it. So it would be a meaningless act. A pointless act. Not only it's wouldn't accomplish anything, it would be totally counterproductive, it would be destroying with his own hands everything that he built up. And yet, Avram was ready to do it. If this is the will of God, this is Jewish martyrdom, this is Jewish self-sacrifice. There's no ego, there's no agendas, there's no calculation. For a Jew, there's only one reality, and that is Hashem. If this is what Hashem wants from me, even though it goes contrary to everything that I understand, it goes against every fiber of my being, it goes against my nature, it goes against every bone in my body, it goes against everything I've, I've worked so hard for for the last 134 years. If this is what Hashem wants, not only did Navram hesitate, he woke up early in the morning, he went gladly, and he was ready to do whatever Hashem wants, because he has no agendas. It's not that he's gaining anything, or he made a calculation, or his identity is tied up with his... There's no other reality. All there is is God. And if this is what Hashem wants from me, that's all that matters. It's not an option. And contrast that to the very first human being, Adam. Hashem asked Adam a simple thing. A simple thing. Please, don't eat from the tree. He couldn't listen. A simple thing. Didn't ask, it wasn't, didn't ask him not to commit a crime, not to commit adultery. He asked him, don't eat from the tree. As a matter of fact, the whole prohibition was only for a few hours. Had he waited till Friday night, according to one opinion, it was actually the grape. He would have made kiddush on it, and that would have ushered in messianic error. So for a few hours, Hashem asked him, don't eat it. Wait till Friday night. Three hours. The whole prohibition was three hours. 
That's one of the reasons of Arla, the mitzvah of Arla. You're not allowed to eat from a tree of fruit the first three years. Three hours, the whole prohibition. And he can listen. Look what Hashem was asking of Avram. Hashem commanded him, go take your son and offer him as a sacrifice, return the gift that I gave you, the age of 100, and now it's time to send them back home. Send them back to hell. Now, Avraham was God's partner. When God wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Hashem says in the Torah, am I going to hide it from Avraham? Avraham is my partner. Do you know who Avraham is? Before Avraham came on the scene, no one knew of me. God was totally, no one even talked about God. God was so remote, abstract, irrelevant to people's lives. Avraham made God relevant. He brought his reality, his consciousness into human consciousness. So Avraham was God's partner. Without Avraham, no one would know God. So Avraham was a general in God's army. He was, he was the, 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 the secretary. He was the head. He was the head, the head in chief. And God says, I can't do anything in this world without asking God. Avram was a partner, an equal partner with God. So Avram could have thought to himself, hey, I have a responsibility. Since I'm a partner, God himself said that I'm a partner. And Avram knew who, who he was and what he accomplished. Without him, no one would even know Hashem. Hashem was totally, the world was totally oblivious of God. Avram may even have a responsibility as God's partner. Listen, God, with all due respect, this is no good for business. <laughs> you, want, you want me to kill Isaac? Are you kidding? It's not about me. It's about the business. It's no good. It's not, I don't know what you want to accomplish. And you know what? He would have been right. He would have been right because never, God never intended him to kill Isaac. But he would have lost his Jewishness. That would have been the end of Judaism. That would have been the end of Judaism. Then it's like any other religion. When did he become Jewish? At that moment. What heroism, what courage. Till today, 3,800 years later, every morning we wake up, we read the story, we're so astonished. Amazing. 137 years old. He was a general. He was the head. God spoke to him. He was his partner. And yet, without any hesitation, if this is what Hashem wants, I am a simple soldier. This is what God wants. What's my life all about? My life, I have no an ego. I have no agendas. It's not limited to my human finite understanding. We're dealing here with God. The most brilliant and the simplest are all equal. The animal and the most brilliant mind in comparison to God are the same. The brilliant mind understands as much about God as, as, as the beast and the brute. Zero. Nothing. We don't even have the tools to approach God. We don't even, we, we don't even have the ability. We don't even know how to approach God. God is so undefined and so infinite and beyond our comprehension. And therefore, if this is the will of Hashem, Avram never lost that point, that connection. There's no ego, there's no I, there's no agenda. All there is is Hashem. There is no other reality. And it was so clear to him, so crystal clear. This is what Hashem wants. In one moment, he was going to destroy his whole life. Give up everything he believed in. Everything he sacrificed everything for he was ready to give it up in a moment and he woke up early and he, he was excited and he said, this is what Hashem wants, this is what I want. This is self-sacrifice. This is Jewish self-sacrifice. It's not within the human capacity. This is a divine ability. It's super, super human, super logical. This is the divine spark that each and every Jew has within. The pintle 
that's run so deep inside of us. We can go through our entire life and it can be hidden and dormant and concealed and covered up. But in the moment of truth, when you shake a Jew, when you give him a little shake, a little shuckle, all this, all the surface and the superficial just falls by the wayside. And that pintle that spark, that readiness of self-sacrifice, that, 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 that holy spark just emerges in all its beauty. And the simplest Jew has it equally as the greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar. The greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar doesn't have this ability one iota more, more so than the simple Jew, the cobbler, the tailor, the thief, the prostitute, the gunner. Every Jew has it equally. It's inherent, it's innate. We're born with it. This is Jewish self-sacrifice. And this is the essence of what a Jew is all about. And the truth is, it's not just in moments of truth when this core and essence emerges and surfaces. It permeates the entire Jew. Everything a Jew does, really, if you dig deep, you'll discover that element of self-sacrifice. Why does a Jew study Torah every day? Why does a Jew pray every day? Why does a Jew do a mitzvah every day? Ultimately, it's because, because it's the right thing to do, because it's godly, because we respond to godliness, not because of our selfish ego motivation or our ego satisfaction. We may think that that's really our motivation, but deep down, underlying and underneath that, there's really a selfless motivation. A godly motivation. A Jew responds to godliness. And we do it because it's the right thing. Why? 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 I don't know. This is it. I'm a Jew, and this is the godly thing to do, and this is the right thing to do, and that's why I'm doing it. Not only out of calculation. What am I going to gain from it? Why is this meaningful to me? That's, that's a fringe benefit. That's not the core motivation. The core motivation of a Jew is because it's the godly thing to do. It's the right thing to do because I'm a Jew and I have a soul. And ultimately, what motivates a Jew, a Jew is not motivated by ego. It may come to a surprise to many of us. <laughs> ultimately, a Jew is not motivated by ego. That's not what it's about. We're motivated by a purely egoless, selfless. We're not ego-centered, we're God-centered. <laughs> we have a relationship with God, we have a connection with God, and this is reality to us. This is the only reality, the ultimate reality, absolute reality. There is no other reality. And that's what we respond to. And that's what motivates us. It's that connection. Whether we're aware of it or not. But ultimately that is the ultimate motivation. For everything that we do. So if Abraham takes this child. So you mentioned a word. A gift. Do you think that Abraham considered the child God's child? And he received the gift, and he can return the gift back? To put it in very, in very simple terms, to, for a Jew, and this is really the foundation of a Jew's life, which is why the Jew could easily accept the Torah and the mitzvah. Not only don't we look at it as a burden, but we look at this Torah, mitzvot, the restrictions, the obligations as a gift, not as restrictions and burdens. Right. When God went around to all the nations of the world, they rejected the Torah because they looked at it as a burden, as a restriction. Right. What's the difference? In simple words, in simple terms, to the non-Jewish nations, 
you know, if someone came to you in your home and started ordering you around and bossing you around, don't do this and don't do that and don't do that, you would feel imposed upon, you would reject it, and you would throw them out. But imagine if you're a guest in someone's home. And your host places restrictions. Lights out at 10, supper, dinner's being served at 7, we're only offering a chicken for supper. Do you feel imposed upon? Do you feel burdened, restricted? I don't feel like eating at 7. I don't like chicken. I want steak. 10 o'clock is too early for me. Are you kidding? You're a guest. You're a guest in your host's home. You can't thank them enough. Not only don't you feel restricted or burdened, you can't, you're grateful. You can't thank them enough. Why? Because your host doesn't know you anything. You're a guest in his home. Whatever you have is a gratuitous gift, a kindness from his part, a generosity from his part. You can't thank them enough. And you live very happily with all the restrictions. This is really the foundation of a Jew's life. The very first words in the Torah, Bereshit bar God creates the world. It's God's world. So for a Jew, life is a gift. Existence is a gift. I understand that. Okay. I won't okay. So therefore, if you, this was, if you think about it, these were the tests that Avram had. Hashem took everything away from Avram. Everything. He took away his life. He was thrown into the furnace. He took away his wife. She was taken away. He took away his livelihood. He had to leave because of the famine. He took away his nephew. Yishmael was kicked out. And finally, the ultimate, ultimate test taking away your child. Because a Jew's attitude is, I don't own my wife, I don't own my life, I don't own my body. For a Jew, there are no rights. We have no rights in this world. All we have are privileges. And when you, have, when you live with that attitude, all you have is privileges. If after 37 years, Hashem says, I gave you a gift, 37 years, I want it back. And Avram did not doubt for a moment that Hashem spoke to him. Avram was a prophet. Mm-hmm. A prophet is not hearing voices in his head. A prophet knows 100% that God is speaking to him. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't tell Sarah because he knew that Sarah couldn't handle it. Why? Because, this, because this is not a test for, for a Yiddish mom. You can't ask of a Jewish mother. Oh. God doesn't give a test, a person, something he can't handle. God only gives us tests that we can handle. This is the best proof. She couldn't handle it. That, the moment she heard, she died. That, she couldn't handle it. That, the gray area. I agree. God does not give you a job that He knows you can't handle. But the child was Sarah's child. Child was a child. Yes, it was God's child. But He gave it to Sarah. He gave it to. And Sarah had a greater decision in the process. But God never asked. Yeah. His decision, and never asked for her decision, never asked for his opinion. God ordered him. He says, yeah. I'm telling you. Did anybody, did, do you really feel, as your experience, that God meant to take that job? No. It was very clear from the beginning. Later on, it turned out, God said, I never meant you to. I was just testing you. Right. As a matter of fact, if you look carefully in the words, God never told him, slaughter the child. He says, offer your child on the altar. Right. Once he offered him, he said, take him down. Right. You passed the test. Right. God never intended him to, to lay a finger on Isaac. Right. But it was a test. If Avraham would have been clever and calculating and manipulative, that would have been the end of Judaism. Right. We would never have heard of Avraham right. and we wouldn't be sitting around this table. 137 years. 137 years. And he was his partner and he was a general and he never would have heard of him again. We never would have heard of him again. 
there's a lot of gray area and I walk out tonight less than I came in with well the, the greatest lesson you can learn from this one of the most profound lessons you can learn from this is how sharp and alert we have to be a person thinks that I have accomplished everything in my life now I can relax it turns out that everything that Avram accomplished in the last 137 years was just a warm up for this moment of truth. You know, this story for the Jew, as you describe it, has great value. But for the non Jew, it has been a detriment to question the idea that God would ask a father to give up a child. What kind of, what kind of Jew would do a thing like that? when you say earlier in the discourse that we honor life greater we mourn one person the whole country the whole tribe will mourn but for a Jew very powerful yes. story yes 100% this is not a, this is a story perhaps that only a Jew can really understand because for a Jew life is only one source for life life is sacred and holy because it's connected to the source of life. For a Jew to be unplugged, to be disconnected, is like taking a recess from life for a moment. To bow down to idols is like taking a recess from life for one moment. It's like walking off the face of the earth. It's simply not an option. For a Jew, life, reality is God. There is no other reality. That is the reality. There is no other reality. That is good and that is life. To be unplugged and disconnected from God for a moment, for a Jew, that's simply not an option. And that's why Jews are ready to martyr themselves throughout the ages. This is the secret strength of the Jew. This is the stubbornness of the Jew. This is the strength that gave us the strength to be able to overcome adversity. When 99.9% of the world came down on us like a ton of bricks, ridiculed us, humiliated us, opposed, was opposed to us, excommunicated us, boycotted us. This is what, this is what gives the Jew the strength. Because we know we have a relationship with God. We have a marriage to God. We have a connection with God. And when push comes to shove in the moment of truth, a Jew would give up everything, the ultimate sacrifice, give up his being, even give up his spirituality, give up everything for Hashem. There is no other reality but God. That's how crystal clear we see God. In the moment of truth, that part of the Jewish soul that sees God, that sees God as but is. Do you think a Jew would believe that God would ask that? Of a prophet I doesn't mean, doubt. In the course of daily life, as reality now, it's beyond my comprehension. And I, maybe it's because I'm only human. And I accept that limitation. And as a result, Avram discovered yeah. a, an infinite love for Isaac. A godly love. A love that's eternal. Oh, I can understand that. A love. better to have love than lost. He found his son because he had him. He didn't kill him. But he also, he also discovered a love, an eternal love. A love that that, that's eternal, it's forever. Because what he gave to Isaac as a result of his test, he gave to Isaac eternity. Not in heaven, in this world. That the Jewish people, the children of Isaac... They didn't kill him. But, but not only the fact that he was by, by being ready to, to take his life, he gave his child eternity. He didn't do it for Isaac. Did he do it for Isaac? Or he did it for God? He did it for God. But what he gave Isaac as a result, yeah. because he withstood this test, that's why he became the first Jew and God made a covenant with him for his children forever and ever. I wonder what Isaac's 
feeling must have been at that point. Why are you doing this to me? Isaac actually um, encouraged Avraham. He encouraged him. Encouraged him. As a matter of fact, the Satan says Satan tried to stop Abraham. He created water. And Avram walked into the water, and when it reached his mouth, the water parted. Then Satan sidled up to Isaac and says, Listen, Isaac, you're a young guy. Yeah. You're 37. You were never married. You never even lived life. Right. Look at your father. Your father's a holy Jew. He's 137 years old. But he's 137 years old. Obviously, he's a little, little senile. It happens to the best of us. Obviously, he may be suffering from early Alzheimer's. Maybe he, oh, Abraham. He, Abraham. He's telling Isaac. Maybe he hears voices in his head. He thinks. I mean, come on. You know, he snuck out of the house. He didn't tell your mother. He kept on talking That's to pretty him. Pretty good. Kept on talking to him. But Isaac. That's pretty good story. Isaac says. Isaac refused to listen. He says, "Listen, if my father, if if my father's ready to do this, and God spoke to him, and if God spoke to him, this is what Hashem wants. As a matter of fact, he pleaded with his father to tie him up." Yeah. When he put him on the altar, he says, out of instinct, I'm going to block the knife. He's honored his father to that extent. Yes, he says, please tie me up so I shouldn't even, out of instinct, defend myself. He didn't honor God, he honored his father. He honored the, the will of Hashem. He trusted his father. If this is what Hashem wants... All right, I quit. I, 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 well, I'm not disagreeing. That's why we say it in astonishment. 3,800 years later, every morning, this is I true self-sacrifice. a lot of harm as well as a lot of good. Because the world isn't only Jews, and this subject matter has been going on a long time about the question, how could God ask a father by, by this? Now, it can be misinterpreted, because the end of the story to many people is that he had every intention of taking, according to Abraham. He didn't think it was a test. He didn't know it was a test. Right. That's why it was a test. Right. He was ready to... The feeling of Abraham to say, I trust God. When you're, when you're sitting in that bed at night and you have to understand a father telling himself, I'm taking my son tomorrow to God. Was there any doubt in Abraham's mind at any hour? No. Okay. God, God spoke to him, 100%. God spoke to him. I can't comprehend that, can you? I mean, you're, you're making oh, it I, sound I like can, we should yeah, understand can, it. Moses heard God. He turned God down. No, but it was different. Okay, tell that me was that different. God wanted to punish the Jewish people. God wanted to punish Sodom. He didn't ask God, he didn't ask Moses... No, because you, the, you're, supposed, you're supposed to pray. When, when someone, if, God, if a, the terrible thing is going to happen, yeah. if God is planning a terrible decree yeah. against human beings, you have to, God wants us to pray and to avert the decree. We're not fatalists. We don't just accept it. Right. This is not what the Akedah was about. God didn't say punish Isaac. It wasn't about a punishment. God says, I gave you a gift. Your existence is a gift. Your life is a gift. Everything you have is a gift. Your wife is a gift. Right. Your family is a gift. Everything you right. have is a gift. Your right. success, everything. Right. I am asking you, after 37 years, return the gift back to me. It's not about a punishment. It's not, it wasn't, Avram wasn't to pray, please avert this terrible decree. It wasn't a decree. Well, it wasn't take, a punishment. Let me, let me just respond to this. That gave me the strength to go on when my son died. And a rabbi gave me that discourse and I could understand that because I lived it and it gave me the strength to go on the mother never could comprehend it 
The mother lost God for the rest of her life. So there's another human being here. There is another Jewish soul. And you know what? It wasn't only Sarah that, 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 that would have been lost here. Everything that Avram built up for 134 years would be lost. That would have been no, the end of Judaism. if it was fulfilled. If it was fulfilled. As far as Avram knew, this was for real. So as far as he knew, not only Sarah would be lost, yeah. every, everything he believed in, everything he, he lived for. he it all up because God asked him. That's it. There was no calculation. Right. It was counterproductive. Right. It went against every fiber of his right. being, his nature, right. his human, kind nature. It's a story, and it serves a very, very major purpose. And if we just take it literally as it is, and it ends well, it ends well. He brings the boy back. God is happy with him. The trust was fulfilled. And life goes on. And now we talk about Abraham thousands of years later. It's a marvelous story. All is well that ends well. But it's that moment that actually taught him what what true selflessness is. And that's why Jewish kindness from that point on, Jewish kindness is genuine. Yeah. It's not based on self, uh, self-satisfaction. self What am I going to gain out of it? Yeah. How, how does this fulfill my soul? Yeah. What need, deep need inside of me? It's not about me. Yeah. Jewish kindness is really about the other person. Where does a Jew get this selflessness, this genuine compassion and caring for another person? It's not about me. Remove yourself from the picture. Whatever it takes to help the other person, even if it's detrimental to me, it's about helping the other person. I mean, I know now, as the story unfolds, what Hashem's purpose was. Yes. Because he didn't take Isaac. Because Isaac moved on. Because everything moved on. And we still talk about it today. The great trust of Abraham. Fine. Okay. But if a Jew approaches God and says, I'm only going to worship you, yeah. if it makes sense to me. If it doesn't make sense to me, I'm out of here. Why would he argue? That's religion. That's Why not Judaism. Why did Abraham argue? God wanted him to argue. Oh, oh, oh. God wanted him to argue because... Well, in that case, he wanted him. In this case, he didn't want him. Because... How do you know he wanted him to? How do we have the capacity to know that God wanted him to when we can't fathom God? Because it's a mitzvah. Actually, it's a mitzvah in the Torah. It's one of the mitzvah to pray, not to be fatalistic. When something terrible is about to happen, a Jew has to storm heaven and earth. You have to avert the decree. You don't just accept it fatalistically. The word Islam comes from the word surrender. In Judaism, there's no surrender. A Jew is meant, because in a perfect world, this world is a garden of Eden. In a perfect world, there is no, are no tragedies. In a perfect world, there is no pain. In a perfect world, there, 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 there is no evil. In a perfect world, when Mashiach will come, there won't be any you death. You mentioned earlier that we don't talk about the world to come much in the Torah. In the, in the, the afterlife. What Mashiach, the, the Torah. Torah the afterlife and the world to come. The world to come, Mashiach and the resurrection, the Torah is filled with it. So what is afterlife? The soul, after the soul dies, after yeah. the person dies and the soul goes to heaven. So that's a separate subject. That's a separate subject. The world to come. The world to come. That's after. Right. But the world, in this world, this is the ultimate. So the, a, a perfect world where there's no evil and there's no shadows and there's no darkness and there's no pain, there's no death. This is the world that a Jew believes in. That's why we don't accept death and that's why uh, death is such a tragedy and that's why pain, we can't accept pain. We have to fight pain. We have to pray for Hashem. To, to, we don't just accept it. May I ask you, Rabbi, would you, uh, would you at least allow this to be a doubtful subject? 
to have this kind of problem in questioning not God, Abraham. But I, 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 I think your question is just highlighting the, 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 the depth of what happened here. Why the Akedah is so pivotal for a Jew? Why it's so fundamental for a Jew? Because if a Jew says, I am only going to... This was a mitzvah. This wasn't, this wasn't about a punishment. This wasn't about a... Um, Hashem was angry. It wasn't about a punishment. It wasn't Hashem was angry. Hashem says, I gave you a gift for 37 years. Send the soul back to me. Send the soul back to heaven. If a Jew is only ready to worship God, only in a way that's limited to my limited understanding and to my limited grasp, that would have been the end of Judaism. There is no Judaism. That's not Judaism. That's religion. That's not Judaism. The foundation of Judaism, the very foundation of Judaism is. And, and that's why it's godly and it's eternal. And that's why the Jew never left the front pages of history. And that's why the Jew is the ultimate humanist. The Jew is the ultimate, the most compassionate people on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Because there is a selflessness. There's a genuineness. And that moment of genuineness and all its beauty and all its purity mm-hmm. emerged during the Akedah. Because Avram trusted Hashem. This is a mitzvah. Hashem is giving me a mitzvah. If this is the symbol of our selflessness. It's Purely. the story of Abraham Purely. and Isaac. There's no ego, no agenda. Even if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit into my understanding. It goes contrary to everything I understand. Everything I thought that's, I understood. That's, that's the key message. That's that the foundation. thousands of years to establish that we're selfless right. Right. people because of what one man did. Abraham. And we all inherited it from Abraham. And this is the core of a Jew. This is right. the essence of a Jew. This is Jewish martyrdom. Right. That a Jew is ready to go, the strength that a Jew has. Right. Where does a Jew have the strength to stand up to the whole world? Where does a Jew have the strength to continue to bring light into the world and goodness into the world and godliness into the world mm-hmm. when the world is so dark and, and, and corrupt and, and the antithesis of everything that's godly and good? Wow. Unfortunately, and I'm not a negative person, I understand more than I'm saying here today, but I'm throwing it out to get your wisdom, your interpretation. There are, whatever percentage, I don't know, but it's not 1%, who believe in God out of sheer fear or need, selfish need to take them through their tragedy. That without God, they don't think they could face it because God is going to help them. So that's not selfless. So this is a real stretch to reach the level of being so qualified that you say is our tool. We're born with that. We're given a gift. That's our soul. That's Tanya. To be able to reach that level, to take it to that point. Well, you know, there's a beautiful story with the Arizal, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived. Who? Rabbi Isaac Luria, the yeah. Ari. Yeah. He lived in Sfat, and he would take his students out uh, Friday, Friday evening to sing the Lecha Dodi to welcome in the Shabbos. One day he tells his students, one Friday, Friday evening, he says, if you'll just come with me, I can take you now to the Kaisal. We'll go to the wall and we'll accept, we'll receive the Shabbos in Yerushalayim. He's talking about a miraculous transportation. 
says, we'll close our eyes and in a moment we'll be at the Kotel and we'll welcome the Shabbos. And that would have been the Mashiach. Mashiach would have come. So there were some students, very learned, and they said, Rabbi, it says in the Code of Jewish Law that before a husband leaves his wife, especially Friday night, you have to ask permission. My wife is expecting me. She has soup ready for me. She has gefilte fish. All of a sudden, I'm going to disappear in her. The Rebbe's face fell. You know, he's chagrined. He turned his face around. He says, Mashiach could have come. If you only would have trusted me. Don't you think I know what it says in the Shulchan Aruch? What do you think? Haven't I learned the same Shulchan? Haven't I taught you everything you know? There was a moment. There was an opportunity. This is what Hashem wanted at this moment. Had you been alert and sharp and been ready, that's it. Your wives would have joined you with Mashiach and Yerushalayim like with all the Jewish people. But you had to have the trust. You know, one of the sharpest lessons you learn from the Akedah is the Baal Shem Tev said that sometimes a, a Jewish soul comes into this world just to do one, for 70, 80 years, just to do one favor for one person. That's it. I don't know who that person is. I don't know what that favor is. It could be a simple favor. It could be a profound favor. It could be a material favor. It could be a spiritual favor. But could you imagine living with that thought that maybe everything I'm doing in my life is just a warm-up, a training, an exercise, a, a preparation for this moment? And if you blow that moment... So what is that moment? Do we see the gift? We don't know. No, but is that the moment? No, but th- th- this is the story... We, no, we, we don't know who the gift's going to, but that moment is to receive a gift? But this is the story of the Akedah. Uh-huh. Everything that happened to Avram for the last 137 years yeah. was just a preparation, a warm-up. If Avram would have blown, that's why Hashem pleaded with him. Right. Don't blow it. Right. This is the moment that you live for. Well, this yeah, is the well, moment. He had to plead with him. He pleaded with him. He oh, says, so there was a discourse. In the beginning, so he started. He said, please. Oh, so it wasn't that he knew it without a shadow of a doubt. No, he says, please withstand this test. Hashem was telling him. Oh, okay. Because if you don't he withstand this test, words. if you don't yeah. withstand he this test. He said, please. He used the magic word. He used the word, please. Kachna, please. Uh-huh. He says, because well, if you don't withstand this test. God would ask you to please do something. Because it meant something to God at that moment. Because if you would fail this test... Well, you know what the I mean, word please, if I ask you to do something, I have a desire for you to do it. I have a desire, right? Right. And I also think you may not do it. So I'm really pleading in a polite way, please do it for me. Because there's a possibility you may not do it. Even though I'm speaking to you and I'm God. So now that is a part of it I wasn't aware of. There was a discourse, even if it may have been a word. We spoke about that earlier. We yeah, we, we, I missed it. Okay. Right. I missed it. I'm human. <laughs> the day isn't over yet. <laughs> let's, you know, let, let's just conclude. We just have a few, a few paragraphs. Oh, let's just conclude this, the chapter. Therefore, page 256, the second, uh, the third paragraph from the bottom. Therefore, as a rule, even the most worthless of the worthless and the sinners among Israel sacrifice their lives for the sanctity of God's name and suffer harsh torture rather than deny God's unity. And where do they get it from? Where does a Jew get the strength, the superhuman courage, their ability, the readiness to, to be burnt at the order of the fe, the readiness to die as a Jew rather than deny their Jewishness? Where does, where does simple people get this from? Continue.
even if they be boors and illiterates who are ignorant of God's greatness. Even the little knowledge that they do possess is not what motivates them, for they do not delve into it at all. So that by no means does their self-sacrifice result from any knowledge or contemplation of God. Rather, they are prepared to sacrifice their lives without any knowledge or reflection, but as though it were absolutely impossible to renounce the one God, without any reason or rational argument whatsoever. Were their readiness to face martyrdom intellectually motivated, the benefits and costs of the act would first be carefully weighed. But in fact we see that the decision to sacrifice oneself is not based on such rational arguments, stemming instead from a non-intellectual resolve that it is simply impossible to do otherwise. This is so because the one God illuminates and animates the entire soul through being clothed in his faculty of Chochmah, which is beyond any graspable knowledge or intelligence. Since the light of the Ein Sof is vested in every Jew's soul, everyone, regardless of his level of knowledge, is prepared to sacrifice his life for his faith in God.